Hello and welcome to this Blackwell Online podcast. My name is George Miller, and my guest today is science writer and journalist Marek Kohn. Marek's previous books include A Reason for Everything, Natural Selection and the English Imagination, As We Know It, Coming to Terms with an Evolved Mind, and The Race Gallery, The Return of Racial Science. Much of my work, he writes, is about the implications of scientific thinking for ideas about human nature and society. That impulse is very much in evidence in his latest book, Turned Out Nice, How the British Isles Will Change as the World Heats Up. In the book, he is of course concerned how the physical environment in 2100 will differ from that of 2010, but he's also interested in what climate change will do to our attitudes as political beings, citizens, neighbours, individuals. My first question for Marek was, why examine a global problem from a national perspective? I was set the challenge of looking at climate change on a, on a, a national scale, or the, the scale of the British Isles. And when I started to think about it, I, I realised that it had potential for doing something, for thinking about climate change in, in ways that are actually rather difficult to do when one's thinking either about the world as a whole or about the places in the world that are going to be worst affected. It's not going to be the end of the world in, in, in this country, in, the, in these islands. And that actually opens up a bit of space to look at things that are going to be happening or likely to be happening at levels that we don't usually consider. It's, this is not about um, putting a saucepan of water on, on the gas and, and, and working out what happens as, as, as it heats up. This is about thinking about our relationships, thinking about how, well, not really our relations, thinking about how our descendants may relate to each other, may relate to other parts of the world, how they may understand their relationship to their environment and and, and their sense of, of national identity or other forms of identity. Now, people in other parts of the world will also have their, their relationships and, and perceptions of those kinds, their sense of themselves changed by climate, climate change, but uh, where where the, 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 the pressures of climate change are going to be absolutely overwhelming. They're just, uh, it's obviously much more important to, to think about the droughts, think about the floods. Here we have some different issues, and that's been very, very interesting to, to, to go into. But the, t- the title of the book, nonetheless, carries quite an ironic charge. Yeah, turned out nice is, is, um, is ironic in, 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 a, in a number of ways. Um, part of it is, is, the, is the, the way we use the phrase. We don't mean very much by it. It's one of those things. It's part of talking about the weather, and of course, all we're really saying when we talk about the weather is, is um, yeah, I kind of like you, and uh, you know, uh, uh, let's uh, let's get along, okay. The idea of of, of, of turning out nice uh, relates to to the uh, to the thing that people always say when you talk about climate change in Britain, which is uh, something along the lines of chance would be a fine thing, and yeah, I mean, I can I can understand that that and um, and. Uh, uh, as one packs one's bag f- for three seasons for a, a, a two-day excursion, and uh, and uh, you don't know what you're going to be faced with uh, when you come home after you, uh, when you go out. Well, yeah, sure. Um, the idea of pleasanter weather is superficially attractive, but it's superficial. The image I have in mind is people saying to each other, "Yeah, it turned out nice, hasn't it?" But actually. They're living in a world, not only a world that's much worse, but actually their own circumstances are much worse. And this is this is the, the absolutely crucial thing, is, is that however you try and reckon it up, if we proceed on, on the path that we're on at the moment and our descendants proceed on that path, 
and gas emissions continue along the kind of track that they're going on at the moment, then come the end of the century, we can expect a world that is very, very tense and fraught and conflicted. I mean, think how volatile the world's markets are these days. Think uh, how important confidence is to, to the economy. And then think about a world in which every week something shocking is happening in some part of the world. A, a harvest is failing, uh, there's a flood here, a storm, here, storm there, a heat wave somewhere else. And, and that's just the dramatic stuff. People may be in their shirt sleeves, but they aren't going to be very relaxed if they're continually worrying about their jobs, uh, whether their pensions are worth anything anymore, or indeed whether they can find anything in the shops. All that being so, but at the same time, given our collective tendency to put our hands over our ears when the, when the news gets too bad, how did you calibrate the tone that you wanted to achieve in this book? What I wanted to do in this book was not preach to people or actually offer solutions, but to write about climate change, to think about climate change in a way which was different. It seems to me to be very important to, to try and find new ways, more or less creative ways, of engaging with, with the problem. I, was, I think I was guided most of all by the data, really. Um, what I've tried to do is, is say, OK, what might the world be like, what might the British Isles be like if we carry on the way we are and our descendants carry on the way that, that we've been carrying on? So that's two things. One is emitting carbon um, uh, in, in, in the way that, that, burning carbon in the way that, that, that we are at the moment for long enough to cause the damage. And also taking the kinds of attitudes to each other towards the outside world and, and, uh, and to society forward into the future without really re-evaluating them. So this was, so this was a, about telling a, a story and making suggestions. This wasn't about creating a world. I, I've done a series of cameos of the future, but I've realized very early on when I started writing them that I really didn't want to make a model train set of the future. I didn't want to have a fully realized world. Um, what I wanted was lots and lots of suggestions that people could take in various ways that I hoped would actually be a little bit unsettling, but not without humor. The, the cover of the book has, has been designed. Um, I was very pleased that, they, that, um, that without me prompting them, um, that they they, the design people came up with a, a, an ironic and humorous one. My sense of humor does tend towards the somewhat dry and, um, well, it's, it's a way of coping with the awareness of grave and ominous news. And I, I, I think, I, ho I, I hope that some of that has come through into the book. So an aspect of the book is really a thought experiment. It's taking the data, as you say, and extrapolating from it, but not limiting it to the results in the physical world, but also looking at how we relate to each other, how politics will change, how international relations will change. So looking at it in a much wider context than perhaps we generally do. It seemed very obvious after I'd thought about it for a very short period of time that the challenge of climate change for these islands is very, very different than it is for almost anywhere else in the world. It's quite remarkable how singular the, the prospects for the future are for Britain and Ireland. And these prospects seem to me to be, to, to be um, pivoted around a, a change in the relationship between 
Britain, the, the, the nations of Britain and Ireland and everywhere else, and actually also between the, the, the different regions and, and, and nations of, of these islands themselves. The picture that, that, that emerged as I started to think about this was, well, one in which we are buffered by the Atlantic. The key to this is, is that we're in the shade of the Atlantic, that the, the, the Atlantic Ocean swaddles our, our climate, and it's going to continue to do so. Whatever happens to the Atlantic Ocean currents, in, in fact, actually, if they're, they're disturbed, it'll probably cool the place down even more and uh, accentuate the differences between us and, and the continent. And uh, and uh, and I, I found myself starting to think about, about how that would play out with the sorts of ideas about ourselves that, that swirl around the, these islands at the moment, and, and, and in particular, the, the, the deep ambivalence in our relationship with elsewhere, our views about diversity and who is us and who is them, and, and how we manage the, the relationships between us and them and who becomes us and, and all the rest of it. And also... And this is something that, that I've, I've gone on to think about more and more since completing the book. Thinking about a society that doesn't really, isn't really that keen on engaging with itself civically and politically, which, which is at odds, disgruntled, disaffected with, with, with democracy while fully committed to it formally, but doesn't really live it. And I'm thinking about a, a, a place that gets more and more crowded because of partly because of population growth but but also because of the need for energy efficiency cities are efficient energetically dense housing is efficient energetically and presumably that's going, going to be an immensely powerful force in the future and you know the stuff that's not built on is going to be used for growing food except for the uh, the high boggy peaty bits which uh, which have got going to have problems of their own so this is all about, this is all about exploring um the need to revive ourselves civically and, 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 and politically. You mentioned cities, and you devote quite a lengthy chapter in the book to, to London, understandably, a London which has characteristics in common with some continental cities you describe as being steeped in heat, which that was a very nice way of, of describing it. And as you say, people living much, much more energy efficiently and in much more um, compact surroundings. Um, you take you take the year twenty one hundred as kind of a key point of comparison. What do you think that the salient distinctions will be between the London of now and the London of then? It's going to be like it is, but much more so. This is how I'm seeing um, the British Isles as a whole. Obviously, that follows from the the, the basic uh, premise of the book, which is is is, is what happens if, if people carry on as we're doing at the moment. So, um, I'm, I'm not trying to invent new things that haven't yet been foreseen. But uh, certainly, I mean, you, you, one's already seeing this. That there's already talk about about the need to to make uh, London much much more dense. London actually isn't a very dense city at the moment, particularly compared to a number of comparable places. Well, Barcelona is incredibly dense in the in the centre. Paris is dense. And people can live well in those those places, so it's not necessarily worse. One of the nice things about about, about this is, is that um, one does imagine a, a really uh, quite substantial and perhaps you could say profound greening of, of of cities. The greening of cities in the past was creating open areas, parks and gardens and so on. The greening in the future is, is going to be integrating the green into buildings themselves, covering the, the walls and the, uh, and the, uh, and the roofs. So one can already see certain, certain buildings, um, um, even with, with green walls in, in, in London already. I'm imagining that this is going to become the norm. 
But I'm also imagining a city in which uh, movement is is very, very difficult. Movement throughout the country is going to be difficult. It's going to be problematic because effectively, in my future, the question is asked about every journey, is this journey really necessary, like the old wartime slogan, except it won't just be a slogan to search your own conscience with. It's something that um, I've imagined a, a transport system, system that is actually automated and, and controlled by, by computers. So you're no longer a driver, you're a passenger in your own car. And to, to make a journey, you actually have to bid for space on the roads, uh, according to a finally computed point system based on how, how, how worthwhile and necessary your, your needs are. Uh, so I imagine a London which has, has become much more uh, of a network than a hub-and-spoke place. The Victorians built the underground system like the spokes of wheels, so it, it all goes into the centre. And I'm imagining, yeah, the underground's still there, the tube's still there, but it just gets, there's just no way of cooling it down in summer, so it doesn't work as a local line anymore. And peripheral centres have become much more important so instead of there being suburbs it's going to be a different kind of uh, network city and presumably that will also be true of other other mega cities in, in the future. You describe at one point measures taken to attenuate climate change as belated and ineffectual and it seemed to me that was what you took the status quo really to be as far as our present state of activity goes. I wondered, in conclusion, Marek, what changes in your own sort of attitudes came about as a result of spending a couple of years thinking about that comparative lack of attention, comparative la- failure to take action. Did you end the book in a, in a more sober, pessimistic frame of mind than you began it? I think that the more I thought about climate change um, and the more detail in which I thought about it, my mood, I don't think, became any less pessimistic, but it was less emotional. I, I think probably what happened was that I came into it thinking, yeah, it's not going to happen. Um, nobody's going to nobody's going to turn around until they uh, until it's too late. You have to feel the climate around you. You, know, you have to feel extremes of weird weather uh, in order to feel that it really matters. It's very difficult to think about it happening in the future. It has to be happening right now. And that obviously applies at the uh, at all levels of, of power, uh, to, uh, up to, to, to the international levels. There's always short-term interests, there's always cogent arguments for putting first. But having thought about the possibilities, I, I, I think my pessimism of the, pessimism of, of the spirit is, 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 is alleviated to some extent, because um, although objectively my pe- pessimism of, of the intellect is just as bad as it started, <laughs> I can also see lots of lots of ways of getting to work to, to deal with this, and um, in particular, um, I, I feel very pleased to, to have got hold of what I what I actually think is the problem. It's not it's not focusing on the technology. It's not 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 it's not um, above. It's uh, the, the 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 need to um, to change the light bulbs and to forswear air travel at the domestic level and the need to make these huge strategic world historical changes in our sources of energy um, at the, the global level. It's not just that, it's actually about starting to think about 
how we work as, as societies and communities and as, and as nations and to work very vigorously on not just reinventing but uh, enriching and, and innovating in, in all those areas. And of course, um, the great thing about this uh, this, uh, this strategy is is that um, well, I'd like to think that you can make quick um, cause with common cause with skeptics and climate change analysis because you know you do these things, you get a better society, whether or not the climate changes. Marek Con, turned out nice. It's available now in paperback. That's all for this Blackwell Online podcast. But as ever, you can find out more details and order the book plus several million others at blackwell.co.uk. You'll also find a podcast archive there of around 100 author interviews. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Until next time, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye.